turn in our Bibles to John chapter 10. Last week we were in John chapter 6, this week we're in John chapter 10. If it feels like we're racing through John's gospel, that's because we literally are racing through his gospel. We are preaching on Jesus, not necessarily the gospel of John, not walking through John, but on Jesus, because as a new church, we take seriously the words in Ephesians chapter 2 that Jesus is the cornerstone of this church. And if we want to understand who we are, and if we want to understand what this church is, we only understand that in relation to who Jesus is. And so we're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at his person and his work. And we started in John so that we could start before creation ever happened to remind ourselves that Jesus is everlasting. And we're racing through John so that we can get to Luke next month as we study the Advent. And we're going to retrace our steps about Jesus now starting in Luke when we get to December. But today we're in John chapter 10 and we're going to be talking about competing voices. We're going to be talking about the shepherd's voice and the stranger's voice. And there's no more important thing for us to do right now as we talk about this cacophony of voices that hit us from every angle, than to pause and to pray and to ask the good shepherd to speak to us. So let's do that right now. Dear Jesus, we come to you, we wrestle with you right now. This is not a simple thing to sit under the preaching of your word, to hear what you have to say to us and to leave and do it. That requires mountains to be moved That requires us to hear the still, small voice of the Good Shepherd speak to us. Have your spirit plant that seed in our heart and grow it and protect it from weeds and shallow soil and bear fruit. That is a a spiritual endeavor. So we take very seriously now our request to say, Lord, teach us today. Let us hear from your word. Let us hear your voice above all other voices. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Let me read to us from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and will find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and they scatter. He flees. He is not a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You know, the background to this passage in John chapter 10 is very plain because there's no break between John 9 and John 10. These are, these are one seamless story that goes together. Last week, John preached on John 6, and we heard about the tragedy of the feeding of the 5,000. Well, really, John chapter 9, the chapter before our chapter today, could be called the tragedy of the healing of the man born blind, but for different reasons. Because in John chapter 9, you have a man who was born blind, who Jesus heals and gives him sight, and that sends shockwaves through the community. They cannot believe this. Do not make the same mistake that, that critics of the Bible make to say, these people lived 2,000 years ago, before the Enlightenment, before the modern era. They didn't understand that miracles don't happen, and so they were gullible, and they believed that people could be healed, and they believed in Jesus. No, 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 no. The people in Jesus' day knew that if someone is born blind, they stay blind, unless some kind of miracle or supernatural thing has taken place. So they investigate. This man's born blind. They argue as neighbors, is this the same man that was born, that we knew of, who was blind? They can't decide, so they bring them to the Pharisees. They bring him there. And the Pharisees are the leading teachers. They're the pastors in Jesus' day. And they help discern what God's will is and what God is doing. And they weigh this and say, this can't possibly be true. So they go to the parents of this man and they ask them and say, is this your son? Was he born blind? Does he now see? And the parents are actually afraid of the teachers and they say, go ask him. He'll, he'll tell you he's of age. So they go back to this man born blind now that he's been interviewed twice and they say, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Tell us what happened. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Um, there was a chaplain at Cambridge a number of years ago named Tom Wright, and he would interview all the incoming freshmen to the college, and he would ask them about their spiritual life. And a lot of freshmen would come in and sit down and say, you know what, I appreciate your ministry. You're not going to see much of me this year because I don't really believe in God, and I have no reason for a chaplain. And Tom would have a brilliant response. He'd say, really? Tell me about the God that you don't believe in. Which God is it that you don't believe in? And this just threw these kids off guard because they had no idea what he was talking about. They were ready to say, I've, I've put off everything to do with God. And, and, and Tom is saying, okay, tell me about that God that you don't believe in. Well, the same thing could be said of these Pharisees. They say to him, give glory to God. Well, the blind man could have asked, which God do you want me to give glory to? A man has just healed me. And now I see when I couldn't see before. Is that not a miracle? Is this man not from God? Well, the chilling end to this passage is the Pharisees, the very men who should be shepherds of the people, who should lead the people to God, cast this man out of the synagogue. He's out of the church. He's, he's no part in the people of God. And Jesus must go and find this man and reveal to this man that I am indeed the Messiah. Well, Jesus is standing there here with them at the end of John 9, and he's standing there with some other Pharisees. And I don't know if Jesus says some things that make you cringe and make you kind of wish that he had a PR guy that could kind of soften some of the things that he's saying, because he's talking to this man, and there's Pharisees standing here. And Jesus says to this man, you were blind, but now you see. And the very leaders that should have led you, they claim to see, but they're actually blind. 
Well, the Pharisees say, what are you talking about? We're standing right here. What do you mean we're blind? And Jesus goes into this story that we have in John 10. He goes into this living metaphor and he uses things in their day that the people of Israel really understood. They understood shepherding and they understood sheep. And so Jesus says, look, let me tell you a a metaphor for what is happening here. And so he does that in our passage. The audience recognizes this scene. There are shepherds in Jesus' day that take care of their flocks. They lead them out to pasture, and at night, the shepherds put their sheep in a sheep pen, okay, because there are wolves out, there are bandits and robbers out, so the sheep need to be protected at night, so they go into a sheep pen. That's a, that's a gated area. There's a four- to six-foot gate that surrounds these sheep, and they hire a gatekeeper to watch the door. He's going to stay up all night and watch the door so that nothing happens to the sheep. And in the morning, the shepherd comes, and he is the only one for whom the gatekeeper will open the gate because the shepherd hired this man. He opens it, and the shepherd leads the sheep out by name. You know, I'm told that that shepherds in the West, they drive their sheep from behind. So they get behind the sheep, they get sheepdogs, and they kind of move the flock of sheep from behind. But Eastern shepherds in Jesus' day and today, they lead their sheep from in front. They literally call to their sheep, They have nicknames for many of their sheep, and they call them out. And sheep are are really dumb animals. They don't understand much, but they can discern the voice of a shepherd. And when they hear the shepherd calling them, they will come, and they will be let out. So this is a very familiar scene, and Jesus is saying, look, the shepherd is the only one that can give this care to his sheep. The shepherd is the only one who understands his sheep, who can care for them. He is the only one who has a vested interest in these sheep for their care and their well-being. Well, you'll notice in John 10 that there's a bunch of other characters here. There are some dark characters in John chapter 10 who are not about the well-being of the sheep, and you see them all over the place. There are thieves and robbers in verse 1 and 10. Now, these are men who are out to steal sheep. They literally would come to the sheep pen at night. One of them would hop the fence, and this is a grisly scene. They would cut the throat of the sheep and throw their bodies over the fence to the guys waiting for them. And they would get as many as they could, and they would run away with them. When Jesus says, look, the thieves come to steal and kill and destroy, they knew what that meant. This is a grisly scene of robbers out to get these sheep. Well, he talks about strangers in verse 5. He says, there are people there who are calling to the sheep, but, but in an ideal world, the sheep don't listen to them and don't follow them. But there are strangers out there who are also calling to the sheep. And finally, he talks about hired hands in verse 12. Now, a shepherd can only watch about 50 to 100 sheep by himself. And if his flock gets bigger than that, he needs to hire somebody to help him. Well, this hired hand is making minimum wage. So when they're out in pasture and a wolf comes to take one of those sheep and the hired hand thinks about the $6 an hour he's making and the wolf that he's about to face, it's an easy decision. He runs away. You know, this is the guy at the gas station who's being robbed. He's not going to defend the the owner of the gas station. He's going to flee. He's going to open up the register. He's going to get this man a Slurpee while he gets robbed and send him on his way. This is, you know, he's not here for this. He didn't sign up for this. Well, there's all these characters in this story, and there's some confusion here with the people listening to Jesus. And so Jesus locates himself in the story, and he says, let me make this very plain to you. I am the gate. You come through me, you find salvation. And he says to them, I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I bring my sheep, and I lead them out. Well, what Jesus leaves unsaid that the Pharisees understood is, 
all of these other dark characters, the hired hand, the stranger, the thief, and the robber, all of those can be found in the false and counterfeit shepherds of Jesus' day. Meaning you, Pharisee, that's listening to this. Meaning you, scribe, and you, Sadducee, and you, money changer, and you of the priestly circle, and all of you who claim to follow God but turn people away from him. Jesus had no shortage of people in his day to say, you are a counterfeit shepherd and you lead my sheep astray. Well, you know, counterfeit shepherds have always existed uh, in the people of Israel. God says in Ezekiel chapter 34, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. This was happening hundreds of years ago before Jesus' time. God rebukes these counterfeit shepherds because they are so unlike the good shepherd. Well, not only did they always exist before Jesus and did they exist in Jesus' day, but Paul says these false shepherds will always be with us. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul warns that counterfeit shepherds find a home where sheep itch to hear their voices. You had the false shepherds, You had them in Jesus' day, and you have them today. They will always abound. Well, today, I want us to let Jesus distinguish for us these two competing voices. I want us to carefully discern what these voices are and who it is that we are listening to. There is the stranger's voice, and there is the good shepherd's voice. Now, the stranger's voice comes in many different ways. It can come from without, and the stranger's voice can also come from within us. To be sure, there is a stranger's voice that comes from without today. There are false teachers today. There are counterfeit shepherds today. There are pseudo-prophets today right here in our city of Columbia. They exist today. They teach today. They build pulpits and ministries and publishing based on absolute lies. They do that today. Standing in a pulpit does not make you a shepherd any more than going to the wig makes you a hipster. It just doesn't. But anytime somebody grabs a mic and a music stand, we listen to them like they're a shepherd. If they are not grounded in God's word, if they are not walking by his spirit, if they have not been transformed by his son, they are lying to God's people. And God gets very strict with them. Forget Psalm 118, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but not to the point of death. These shepherds will endure a stricter judgment for being a plague to God's people. They exist and they abound, even in our city. But today I want us to, to think about the, shepherd's, the, the stranger's voice from within. We think about the stranger's voice from without. We spot these false teachers, health and wealth gospel, televangelists. But today I want us to cut a little deeper and talk about the stranger's voice that comes from within us. All of us hear voices. Don't let that freak you out. All of us hear a running monologue inside of our heads. If you, if you hear this, you are not alone. 
all of us sense this, all of us hear this, and basically the stranger's voice within us has a two-point sermon. If we let it preach to us, it will preach these two points to us. It will tempt us or it will condemn us. It will entice us to sin or it will shame us. And a lot of times it preaches both of those things to us. Let's look at those, those two points. The stranger's voice, it entices us. It tempts us. It draws us in. It woos us. It says to us, we hear it from within ourselves, self, this has been a really long week. This has been a tough week. Nobody understands the kind of things that you are up to. Nobody understands what you deal with week to week. Why don't you treat yourself this week? Why don't you, why don't you buy yourself a little something and, and, and fill some of that aching in your heart to be understood? Fill some of that aching of self-pity. You know, why don't you get online and just see what you see and see where your eyes wander to? Why don't you, if somebody needs to be served this week, why don't you let somebody else do it? You've had a hard week. Somebody else can do that. You need to rest this week. Look, I'm not talking about a devil with a pitchfork that's telling you to kill somebody. I am talking about this quiet voice within our hearts that just whispers to us and says, we're not jumping off course. We're just going one degree to the right, one degree to the left. That's all we're talking about. I'm really embarrassed to confess this, this inner voice in my own life to you because it is humiliating to speak these things out, what we hear in our hearts. But just this week, uh, Julie and I are thinking about just redoing our total backyard. We want it to be a place for ministry. Right now we have this kind of gnarled, rusty metal fence back there that's covered in poison oak. And that, you know, is a damper on ministry, inviting people to get tetanus and, and poison ivy. So we want to we put up a wood fence. And uh, so we had a few people come out and quote some prices to us. And we were shocked by the amount of money that you can invest in a wooden fence. I mean, that's that's shocking. And so the voice began saying inside of my own heart, you know, this fence is really for ministry. I mean, it's hardly for Julie and I. It's hardly for our family. It's really to host people and to use it for ministry. What if I took some of the money that I was going to give towards Columbia Prez and just put it towards the fence? I mean, it's all going to the same place, right? I mean, it's going to the church. It's going to the fence. This is all ministry. Let's just do this. Let's just re- re- revert this. Do you hear how that voice just begins to speak in our minds and we're wooed by that and we say, that makes absolute sense to me. That, that eureka, I've, I've figured out how we're going to do this. That's what we're talking about, this, this one degree of movement off the course of what God is calling us to. Jesus understands this stranger's voice within. Watch the stranger's voice progress in Jesus' life with respect to the cross. Matthew chapter 4, the stranger's voice comes, but it comes in the bodily form of Satan. Satan shows up and he says to Jesus in Matthew 4, do not go to the cross. You bow down to me and worship me and I will give you all these cities. And Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. And danger is averted. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, the stranger's voice comes back, but it's not in the form of Satan. How does it come? It comes in the form of one of Jesus' dearest earthly friends, Peter. And Peter says to Jesus, using the stranger's voice, Jesus, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go to the cross. There must be another way for your ministry to thrive. And what must Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I want nothing to do with that. Well, then listen closer to Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. The stranger's voice came as Satan. It came as as one of his best friends. In Matthew 26, 
the stranger's voice is coming from within Jesus and we get to watch the Son of Man wrestle in the Garden of Gethsemane and cry out to God, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way to do this thing without the cross, I'll take it, I'll do it. But as soon as we hear the stranger's voice, we hear Jesus again say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus understood the stranger's voice. He understood that it was wooing him away from what God was calling him to do. And we think, what could be wrong with this? What could be wrong with a little indulgence here, a little snacking here, a little nibbling here? And Jesus is saying, I am pleading with you today. If you hear my voice, there is only one place that the stranger's voice can end. It is a thief and it is a robber and it is here to steal and kill and destroy. If you let it, if you entertain it, if you let it occupy your heart and your mind, there's only one way this story is going to end. This thing will scale the wall of your heart, it will slit your throat, and it will throw your body to the bandits on the other side. Sin is out to destroy you. It's out to get you. Do we think that we get to write the ending of our own story? Do we think as Christians that we get to write a chapter of lust and of indulging ourselves online or of letting primetime PG-13 dribble just fill our minds and our eyes and end the story with great relationships with the opposite sex? Do we get to do that? Do we get to write a chapter in our story about gossip or slander or tearing somebody down and end the story with great, mutually edifying, loving relationships built on trust with other people? Do we get to write a chapter on coveting, on jealousness, on wanting what other people have and end the whole story with, with great dialogue with our spouse about how we spend our money? We don't get to do that. There is no way to entertain the robber in the sheep pen at night and be ready to get up in the morning and be led out to pasture by the good shepherd. That doesn't work. These voices are headed in two totally opposite directions. They have two totally opposite aims and they will end in two opposite ways. If you hear Jesus' voice this morning, do not listen to the stranger's voice of enticement, of tempting. Well, some of us also hear the stranger's voice, but, but it comes in the form of shame. Some of us hear more enticement, more tempting, and less shame. Some of us hear a lot more shame and a lot less enticement. And we hear the stranger's voice within talking to us about shame. It says this, how could you be this way? How could you have turned out this way? Even if you're a believer in Christ, why do you act this way and why do you say these things? If, if your friends really knew what was in your heart, if they really knew what you thought about or what you did, they would want nothing to do with you. God has given you his son, Jesus, and this is how you respond. This is the life that you lead. We feel the shame. We feel it mounting on ourselves. We carry this general shame, and sometimes we can't even pinpoint why we feel so ashamed. And here's the worst part about the stranger's voice of shame. We think it comes from God. We think shame, guilt, those are biblical words. Those are part of the Christian experience. If I'm feeling shame, if I'm feeling guilt, it must always come from the shepherd. That is not true. That is the stranger speaking to you. 
Let me just point briefly to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul had to confront a church on its sin, and it was a very hard letter that he had to write this church. And this church received the letter, and they were grieved deeply because they had sinned, and it brought sadness to them to think about it. But then Paul writes, the grief you had, that was good grief. That wasn't bad grief. There's such a thing as, as two different kinds of grief, and the grief you had was good. This is what he said. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Do you hear that? Do you hear those two voices that Jesus is talking about? The shepherd's voice, it brings grief. When we sin against God, it brings conviction in our life. We feel the weight of our sin. But if you are listening to the shepherd, you hear conviction, and it leads us to step number two. That is, we repent. We say, God, you're right. I am convicted of this. I have sinned against you. I confess this sin to you. And where does that lead for the believer? It leads to joy. It leads to salvation without regret. We understand that the sin is put on Christ and we need not carry it any longer. Not so the stranger's voice. The stranger's voice brings us grief. It brings us shame. We think about what we've done wrong and we're utterly undone by it. But where does the stranger's voice lead? Rather than repenting and pouring it out before God, the stranger's voice begins to compound the shame. We think, I've done this a thousand times before. How could I possibly have done this again? How can God continue to forgive me for the exact same sin? How can God just generally forgive me for the kind of Christian I've become? Do you see the shame begin to spiral downward? It's not leading to repentance and, and salvation without regret. It's not leading to joy. It's leading to more shame and more shame and more shame. And Paul says, there's only one place that this voice leads. It leads to death. If you, are, if you are filled with shame, if you are utterly undone by guilt that is not connected to repentance in God, if you are walking around isolated from other people because of this, you are the walking dead. This is not what the good shepherd intends for you. You are dying in your shame. That's why we do confession and assurance every single week at Columbia Prez because we need to tune our ears to the shepherd. This is how confessing sin works. We confess it, we're convicted of it, we repent, Jesus pays for it, and we have salvation and forgiveness without regret. We walk out of here and say, the only reason I'm walking, the only reason I have joy is my sin is on Christ. The good shepherd has taken it. We need to practice that every week because I tell you what, the stranger's voice will hit you the second you walk out of this door and it will give you a kind of grief that adds to grief that adds to grief. Listen to the shepherd's voice. Jesus said in verse 5, his sheep flee the stranger's voice. When they hear it, they don't recognize it, they flee it. But friends, you and I have heard this voice so long and so often that it's hard to distinguish the difference between the stranger and the shepherd. When the stranger entices us with these things, our ears perk up and we say, that makes a whole lot of sense. When it, when it brings shame and guilt to us, it speaks the language of our heart. It speaks the language that we know, and we think that the stranger is the shepherd. Jesus alone is the good shepherd, and he bids us to hear his voice this morning. Listen to what the shepherd would say to us. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for you. I call you out by name, and I lead you to good pasture. I have good things in store for you. 
I give you an abundant life. That's what I want for you. I will not leave you in trouble. You and I will know each other like I know the Father and the Father knows me. And I will draw you to myself and I will draw many others in this city to myself and we will be one flock with one shepherd. That is the good shepherd's voice. Hear his voice this morning and go with him. Let's pray. Jesus, it is so hard to hear. There are so many voices competing for us to listen and it is hard to distinguish the still small voice of the good shepherd. Lord, I pray that by worshiping together, by studying your word, by walking in your spirit, you would tune our ears to hear the good shepherd's voice, that we would know his voice and follow him, that you would lead us out to good pasture. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.